Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, everyone. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. This is a scripture study podcast. We zoomed out a little bit for those watching on YouTube, and I just realized <laughs> that I feel 75 feet and um, because, away from you. I know, I really do. Is it because, you guys, I watched last week's video, and I, it was, I was so claustrophobic. I was like, there's so much happening. Um, so... Now, We're welcome gonna be to... be a little bit, yeah, farther <laughs> apart from each other. Um, that was Emily's plan all along, just to be farther <laughs> away from me. Um, but also, hopefully you'll be able to see what's on the board a little bit better. And for those of you who like to have it zoomed in a little bit more, you don't want to screenshot and, and zoom in on there. All of the board images with their scriptures and everything, the PDFs, those are being loaded into the app. Let me just tell you real fast what the section's called and then... Um, Which will come in so handy if you're a teacher because the entire slide bank or whatever you call it, PowerPoint, even though that's not what it is. Yeah. But every picture we use or anything we put up is now we are capturing it in the app under... It's called Weekly Board Slides. So if you're new to the app, all things, don't miss this, the podcast, the newsletter, the video extra, uh, all the downloadables and everything, they're all stored in one convenient place. Plus- If you wanna print the journal pages, they're on there for your classes or for whoever you're studying with. Plus bonus things that are app exclusive, including uh, a daily um, scripture for kind of daily scripture study with three discussion questions that are age. They kind of go from littles to mediums, to teens and adult questions each day. And also, if you have your app, make sure you notice in the middle section from us, there will be a Monday through Friday, a daily notification that's gonna come. It's gonna be your reading, and it's gonna be just other bonus communication will happen in there. So turn on your notifications, or if not, check that. It's like receiving a text from us every single morning. That's what it's gonna feel like. That's fun. Yeah. Um, Okay, so that was, yeah? Good? Are we yeah, ready? All right. I think we're ready. Today Diving we're calling in. this day um, unexpected. I think I was halfway through saying this is a scripture study podcast, but by <laughs> that point, hopefully you've got that figured out. And we move through the New Testament this year. We're following the Come Follow Me curriculum. And the Gospels are divided up where you kind of have to jump around scriptures a little bit. They're pretty much kind of the same story, but you get different details depending on the perspective of the person who's writing. So today we're Matthew 3, Mark 1, and Luke 3, which pretty much cover some of the same stories. Uh, we want to start in Mark 1, just to the very first verse. And should we introduce Mark first? Yeah, that'd be so fun to yeah, do. Yeah, we should. Um, so Mark is a second generation Christian, and he's a follower, also companion of Peter. So a lot of people want to say that Mark's writings would have been really influenced by Peter, which I love. Because don't you just want to hear how Peter would have told the story? Yeah, and it's fun to actually think about like companionship study in the morning. Yes. And Peter's like, let me tell you about this one day, you know? (laughs) Oh, that's so (laughs) fun. Um, So the audience was Christians, um, but with a particular appeal to Greek Christians, which I love because it's just like expanding the circle of people who were coming. It's the shortest of the Gospels. Um, people 
what is handed down, the tradition that is handed down is that it was, Mark was supposed to be read in one sitting from start to finish, which when I was studying last night, I was like, isn't that so interesting just to imagine that you were going to be like, tonight I will read Mark. Mark. Yeah. <laughs> and you just are supposed to read the whole thing as if it's a story from beginning to end, which I love. Um, or it could have been a sermon that was given in a single presentation is what it was. It emphasizes Jesus as a healer, a miracle worker, and a teacher, which we just love him as all of those mm -hmm. things. So, and then at the bottom of each of these tip-ins that you're getting this year um, is going to be our very favorite stories in Mark. So we've done that for all of the gospels. So you would be able to go in and, and think, like, I like the woman who touched Christ's robe in this version. And, and we like the feeding of the 5,000 in this version. And in Mark has its own little section of what you don't want to miss while you're reading Mark. Okay. The very beginning of Mark, Mark 1.1, 1, 1, uh, it's not going to be super exciting to modern day readers or listeners. Like, um, but it would have been sort of uh, super thrilling and somewhat scandalous, by the way, in the time that it was written. It starts like this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That word gospel is, it comes from a word that is, it's a Greek word, evangelion. That's where the evangelical comes from, which is this announcement of good news. But it's a really particular type of good news. It's the kind of good news that you share. Who loves it? There's different types of good news, by the way. It's the type of good news that you share when your enemy has been defeated and or a new king is on the throne. When your king is defeated like your major enemy or there's been like this really good a new leader has kind of arrived because your old one was bad. Which you kind of love because I was talking with my seminary kids today and I was saying it's kind of fun to watch how each of the Gospels wants to introduce yeah, Jesus. Yeah. And now we've seen all of them because Matthew was like very scholarly. Let me show you his genealogy and where he came from. And then Luke was like, oh, I would like to introduce him as a baby in like born in a stable and shepherds came and you're like, yeah, yeah. oh, that's interesting. And then um, today we were talking about John in seminary and I was like, they, he wanted to show you Jesus before he even came. Like the person who created the world and that he like was with God. Jesus. And yeah, yeah it's like yeah. this so big Jesus. And then you love that Mark is like, I will show them to the king. Yeah. You know, like that's who I'm going to introduce them to. Which, if you're under a rule of a Roman empire, that's a really <laughs> scary way to start a book. Because it sounds like a political threat is what it does. Yeah. And he says, especially use that word evangelion, and then he introduces him as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Those are kingly terms. And so verse chapter 1, verse 1, Mark is introducing this book as to say, a new king is on the scene and his name is Jesus the King, the son of the God of this nation. And all he like three times like sets him up as that and you're kind of like, bro, you're gonna get arrested, you know, for <laughs> writing this. Like this would have been scandalous material. But what's so cool about this is what we named this lesson unexpected. And those of you who've been around the New Testament for a while know that this is kind of the feeling of people as they are introduced to Jesus for the first time and his kingdom. It's like that he, something he will say to Pilate at the end of his ministry, my kingdom is not of this world. You have got to understand that I'm talking about a different kind of kingdom yeah. than you are used to. And then Mark introduces us to a character and we're going to jump over to, we've met him. 
um, as a baby in the tummy already is where we met him, John the Baptist. And now, remember when he, he jumps when Mary comes? Um, and now we're going to meet him, you know, grown up and out, this, this wild man. But he introduces him, which is kind of fun. If you study the Old Testament with us, one other thing that's fun about Mark that you want to know is he introduces him. This, he takes those promises from Malachi. Behold, I will send a messenger and applies them to John the Baptist. So Mark is one who like kind of ties those books together and says, hey, remember how the last book ended? This is how this one begins. Yeah, which is so fun. And we want to start out, I just want to tell you a story that happened many, many years ago. Um, my dad was called as a mission president and our whole family went. So I was a senior in high school. My youngest sister was in first grade and we got there the summer before my senior year started and we spent those first few weeks moving in to the house and, and like getting acclimated. And I remember going down to the high school and signing up for my classes and all those new things that you do. And then I can remember it was a Sunday night and we had been there for like five weeks, four and a half weeks. And we were just kind of settling in. We were eating dinner for some reason, the missionaries, the assistants were eating dinner with us, which will prove to be helpful in a minute. So we were all just eating and all of a sudden the front door of our house opened and like these random teenage kids walked in and sat down in our family room. They didn't even like say anything to us. They just sat down. And then about two minutes later, the front door opened again and like more kids walked in and more and more kids were walking in. And we were like, is this weird? <laughs> Do people just, we, we don't know. This is like our first time living in a mission home. So is this like, Maybe it's a what happens? Yeah. I don't know. And finally, my mom was like, what is happening? And all of a sudden, one of the elders who had not been paying attention to what was going on, because I think for him, it was like, just, oh yeah, this is what happens yeah. on this Sunday. Uh, uh, my mom was like, what is happening? And he's like, oh, we forgot to tell you that on the fifth Sunday in the mission home, kids from all over California, this area, all the high schools come to the mission home at seven o'clock and they have this like spontaneous testimony meeting. No leaders come, just kids show mm. up, walk in, sit down. I mean, they filled, our family room was filled. And he says to my mom, you're supposed to make brownies. He does. <laughs> My mom was like, oh, luckily you could like close off the kitchen. So that is what happened. They closed off the kitchen. My dad made me and my sister go out there, which I was like so uncomfortable because I was like, what even happens? There's no leaders. No one's taking charge. It feels like people are just walking in. And then pretty soon someone stands up, says a prayer. I don't even know how they chose. And then kids just started bearing their testimony. Just one after the other, after mm. the other. And for me, it was so unexpected. Like everything about it was unexpected. And, and, and it was like doubly weird because it was like my house, you know? <laughs> so it, you were like, what is even happening right now? And about halfway through the meeting, I can remember thinking to myself, this would never happen in Utah. That was my, the thought that came to my head in, in like my neighborhood. I can't imagine ever that kids would just show up somewhere to bear their testimony on a Sunday night. Mm. Like it, it seemed so like what you wouldn't do. Mm. 
like if adults planned it and you would go and you would be like, this is so, I hate when we do stuff like this and you know how you would be like that. So the fact that like no one's parents made them come, no leader was like checking to make sure you were starting the meeting and you were in charge of the prayer. Like it was youth led, completely youth led. And, and then I started getting really interested in the youth because I was like, who shows up to something like this? What, what kind of youth shows up to something like this? And I'll never forget at the very end, there was um, this girl who stood up and bore her testimony. And, and I had settled in by now so I could like just think about what was happening. And it, her testimony was so like vulnerable and sweet and not like pre-thought out, but she just was like, sharing her soul with us. And what happened for me as I listened to her talk is I knew she knew the Savior. Hmm. I could tell by how she was talking that somehow she had come to know the Savior. And plus, because of how she was describing him in that moment. And I remember thinking, I want a testimony like hers. That's what I want. I, I don't know how she got it, but whatever it is that made all these kids show up on a Sunday night without parents or leaders to share what they knew about Jesus, I wanted that, mm. whatever that was. And mm. she became my on-ramp to my own personal testimony with Jesus Christ. It's so interesting because I don't even know her name. I remember what she looked like. I remember what she was wearing. I remember clearly where she stood in my house. But then, th then she was gone. But what she left in me was this extreme desire to know Jesus the way she knew Jesus. And I love that because it feels like that's what John the Baptist became for people is he's so unexpected. He's like in the wilderness. Like right. it, we read in there and he's like, he's not in the world. He's not of the world. And you're like, yeah, he's not even in, in like... Galilee in or Jerusalem yeah. or somewhere. He's like in the wilderness. Who even right. goes to the wilderness? It's not like you're like, I'm just stopping by the wilderness. He was like, you had to go out of your way to experience what was happening there, which I kind of love about that. And the fact that like people are so drawn to him because of like, and I love when everyone writes, this is what he wore. Yeah. This is what he ate. Like they want to point out to you how unexpected it, that it's almost like my mom's same question. What is happening here? Yeah. Is what people would have been saying as they walked into that situation. And um, who he talked about was this Jesus in such a vulnerable and, you know, open way that people were like, okay, I'm drawn to know more about what is happening here yeah it seems like they're yearning for something because it says in that verse five that they left jerusalem from jerusalem and judea and all the areas round about they wanted to come out out of their way to gather to him they were drawn to whatever message that is that he was sharing and it just was an unexpected place from an unexpected person and it like lit the spark of faith you know that fire yeah. of faith in so many different people yeah. and i think it's cool that he actually calls everybody else to be an on-ramp also. In Matthew 3, 3, he says, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Like find a way to open up that 
um, doorway to Jesus for people. Yeah. Like do what you need to do. And I think it would have been neat for people to maybe see like, oh, I have permission to do this in the place I live, work, and yes, room, you know, yeah. like if John is doing such a great job at this as a camel skin wearing, locust eating, yes. wild man, you know, out in a place without an address, then maybe whatever street I live on or whatever job mine is, I can be an on-ramp to people for Jesus. I can light that fire yeah. of faith in other people as well. Which I love the thought of that. And I love that everything about it is so in- unexpected that it like draws you to have to consider yeah. that place the same way it did for me when we were having that experience and to consider Jesus in that space. And I love this too, when you think about wilderness moments, like part of the reason maybe I stopped so long to ponder and consider is because I was in a situation that was not a a comfortable situation. We had just moved. I was with people, no one I knew that like, I was being stretched already and it was within that stretching place that that on-ramp became so like needed for me. And I feel like we all have wilderness experiences. Yours might not be moving, you know, to somewhere, but we all have wilderness experiences. We all have those uncomfortable stretching places in our life where maybe someone in that moment will be the on-ramp. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because I, I was talking to my seminary kids today and I was like, here you have John who is like, not what you expect telling about this guy who's going to come. And he's like, and when he shows up, like I'm not even worthy to undo the latches on his shoes. And which in your mind, you're like, well, what does that have to do with anything? But in those days, the person who would like take off someone's shoes would be the servant of the house because then he would wash that person's feet. And John was like, I'm not even worthy to be his servant. Uh, the person who's coming. And I'd said to my kids, who do you think they anticipated? Like if I said to you, someone's coming who is going to change everything. They're going to change the government. They're going to change how things are done here. They're going to deliver us. Like everything is going to change and they were going to walk in the back door. What would you imagine? And Mm. they were like, someone in a suit with security guards and like a briefcase, you know, or like, Mm, mm. you know, and so it's so funny that when John is like, oh, there he is, the Lamb of God, and everybody turns around and they're like, wait a minute, that guy like looks like me. Yeah. Wearing the same thing I'm wearing. He doesn't look like, that in and of itself was so unexpected. And then I love when you talk about, and I can't remember what verse it was, but let's just go there before we move to the next one. When he just gets in line with everybody else to be baptized. Like he doesn't even come to the front of the group. He's just like, I will, um, I'll just get in line and do what everybody else is doing, which is going to be this baptism moment. It's such a cool... Because it says there in Matthew and Mark and Luke that people come out to John and they come to confess their sins and to and to be baptized. And Luke, the, we have to jump over to Luke for just a second for this one. It's Luke 3.21. I love this particularly because I love how good of a storyteller Luke is. Like he's like some of the best stories. Like where's the yeah. Christmas story come from? Luke. Where do you get the Good Samaritan from? 
Luke. Where do you get the prodigal son from? Luke. Like he's the best yeah, storyteller. Yeah, because he gives you so much detail. Right. You're just you, like you can visualize. He paints a picture yeah. really, really well. So the way he describes the baptism is way out of character for him, which is what I kind of love about it because he says this, Luke 3, 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, especially after Mark starts where he's just drum roll, please, you know, and John, like, here comes yeah. the parade of the king. That for Luke to say, like, um, all the people were there. Oh, and Jesus got baptized too, you know, as if, he stood in line yeah. with everybody else as if it were the DMV, you know, where it's just like yes. number 44, you know, and he's just like, oh yeah, you know, yes. but I, I, there's something like really powerful about that, about him getting into line with everybody else, almost as if to say in the kingdom of God, we all stand in the same line. Yes. You know? Yeah. And he comes right into line with everybody else and, and jo- next, you know, and yeah. then he's going to go down into the water. And there's that moment when you just kind of wonder if maybe he was just off to the side observing what was happening. And then when there was a little break, he starts walking in and John's like, wait a minute. I'm not, I feel like this is not like the way it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Why are you doing what everybody else is doing? And because now, remember, he's made that statement. I don't even feel worthy to unbuckle his shoes. He gets into the water and says, okay, I want you to baptize me. And, and he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you should actually be baptizing me. Like I'm, this, we're not, yeah, this is this not, this backwards. is, this is backwards. It's unexpected. Yeah. And yeah. it's almost as if Jesus is saying today, I'm taking your place and you're taking mine, which is such a characteristic of what he does. Yeah. Right. Where he's like, we're, let's swip, swap spots. And and, and he gets baptized. And, and there's something about this baptism that's so powerful. Yeah, and I love that. Let's start in 15 as we get into this part because it's so good. Because Jesus says to him, it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And I love that, that word us, where he's like, this is, this is like our mission. Yeah. This is what yeah. we're in doing. In line with everyone yeah, and, else. And he just invites everybody to be part of like this relationship and this mission and this what is about to happen like this is us the kingdom is us and we're all Mm. doing this together which i love and and then it says in jesus when he was baptized went up straightway out of the water and lo the heavens were open unto him and he saw the spirit of god descending like a dove and lighting on him i'll never forget do you remember that one time when we taught at um in the river. Yeah, at the river. Yes. We were at the river and I was teaching something I don't even remember what. And all of a sudden, the whole tour we were with gasped. And I was like, what did I just say? <laughs> you know, like I must have said something really amazing or something. And it was so awesome because I turned around to look behind me and this dove, this white dove had just flown down and just sat on the bar as if it was this object lesson that was <laughs> happening. Just, yeah, it was like so amazing, but it was so fun to realize there really are doves there. And as I sat there and I looked at that happen and, and the fact that everybody like was like, <gasps> right when it happened that I was like, don't you love the thought that whatever it was with the spirit just settling on him was like awe. 
inspiring. Yeah. That was like, people were like, oh, wait, what is happening yeah. right now? Don't you love that that kind of is the question of this whole story? Right. But there's something else I also really like it. And I don't, you know, that the, the dove is like so unassuming. And it's funny in Korean, I served as a missionary in Korea, the word for dove and pigeon are the same word. So when you like read the yeah. Bible in Korean, it's like, then a the pigeon. pigeon came and you're like, ooh, <laughs> the rat of the sky, you know, who's <laughs> just like, yes. you know, like comes or whatever. And it's just the words that it uses is just like the single bird that's like kind of, it's not like the bald eagle right. or the swan, you know, came yes. in, but it was this common bird that was used for sacrifice. Interesting. I just yes. thought about that. Remember yeah. that, that they used that for sacrifice. Lights on him, you know, that a lot of people may have maybe missed it. Someday when you go to the Jordan River, we should have put a picture here. It's so gross. Yeah, in fact, I'm going to go get dirty. the bottle. You keep talking. Okay. And we'll just keep running. And it's just like I this, have it. it's just this, it's this dirty, nasty place with these muddy banks. Um, the Jordan River, this is actually interesting, happens to be, um, we're told that he's baptized at Bethabara, which is right that spot where the Jordan River meets the Dead Sea. So that's the lowest spot on planet Earth is what it is. And this is water. If you're watching the YouTube video, you'll be able to see this. If not, you just imagine chocolate milk disguised as water. <laughs> it is just nasty. Like that's Jordan River water. It really is shallow in some places and just gross. I brought this and home because let's tell about this part I love. Our good friend Jeremy Guthrie, who was with us, is the one who talked to me into bringing home this little bit of water with me. And he, when he was serving as a mission leader, as a mission president, he would show this and say, it's so interesting because we talk about when people get baptized, that they're washed clean. And he was like, I need you to know it's not the water that does that. Yeah. And this is the water. Like, do you feel like you were going to be clean when you got out of this? Yeah. You yeah. know? But what it is that cleanses you really is the spirit. And, and it wasn't, a dove didn't really come and sit on Jesus. I think it's so important to remember it, it was descending like a dove. Yeah. But everybody who had been to the Jordan River, obviously, it is really common for doves to be there and to settle there and to sit there. And I just love the thought that people recognize that the spirit, the, the one who would sanctify and cleanse and purify and magnify and witness just settled on him. It sat with him, you know, that was just part of who he was from that moment, which I think is so awesome. And, and the fact that it happens in a place that is the lowest one yes. of the dirtiest, unexpected places, you know? Uh, there's something about Jesus coming to not just the line, but maybe the back of the line, yes. you know? And, and this moment of like descending, right? Yes. In, in, and, and it becometh us yeah. to fulfill all righteousness. Like, I'm going to do this, but you're going to do this too. And then something else really unexpected happens because this is like the beginning of Christ's mission. He is just entering into this covenant. And then his mission starts. Like it, John introduced it. He prepared the way. This is it. This is like the moment in which Jesus has done nothing right. yet. 
at all, right? He All he's done so far is get out of the water. And something really unexpected happens here that I think is so neat. And I think it's important to remember this. A lot of times we will talk about a covenant path and, um, and it becomes for us a checklist of like you get baptized and then the next thing you're going to do is this. And then the next thing you're going to do is this. It becomes routine um, of what you're supposed to do next. And I love one of the things the father does is it shifts our mind from that idea into what this actually is, is a covenant relationship. And if you can hold on to that, if you can grab hold of that right now, for me, that changes my perspective in the gospel so much because what Jesus is about to enter into right now is a covenant relationship with his father. And we all do that as we get baptized. baptized. We enter into this covenant relationship. And there are four really important things we need to know as we begin that relationship. And there are four things that I think in our mind, we would think, oh, this is what will happen at the end. If I do everything right, if I do all the checklists, if I just take care of all these things, then at the end of my mission, he will say this, but it's so interesting. This is how a covenant relationship begins. Yeah. And the placement of it in the story is so important that he's like, he's never done, he hasn't, we don't know. But the way the gospel writers position the story is what's important. That he's just like, no miracles have been done. No great sermons have been given. Nothing notable or no reason to give him a trophy. Yeah, nothing's written down or recorded besides the fact that all he has decided to do is enter into covenant relationship. That's it. And the way someone begins relationship with God is like this. That voice comes from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And it's awesome to stop on some of those words and circle them in your scriptures that he says, this is my son. That's a possessive word. That's a claiming word. That's my kid right there. Right. And, and of course you would say if your kid hits a home run, you're like, that's my boy, you know, or whatever, you know. But like after doing nothing, I mean, before doing anything, he's from day one, he says he's mine and he's beloved. This word beloved, um, that be prefix that you find in English words, old English, that means fully. So like believe, uh, I used the German word yes, when I just did. said that just because so. leave is heart, you know, like yeah. believe is your full heart. Behold is to fully um, approach, you know, and and look at. To be loved means fully loved. Not just kind of liked, not just sort of like I admire this one, but fully love him from day one. Won't be more loved on day 365 because he's already fully there. He's my son. Um, He calls him by relationship name. He's known. And then he says, in whom I'm well pleased. I'm so delighted in this boy. And someone might ask on the banks of the river, well, what's he done that you're so delighted in? Nothing. Relationship only. He's just my son. And, and, and the fact that you brought that thing up that he says to John is so important here. Where he just says, it becometh, it behoove whatever us to do yeah. this. That Jesus says, I'm standing in your place on this day. Um, and you can have this same experience. And these are the same words 
um, that should and can and will light upon yeah, you. Yeah, I love that thought because I just want to say, um, as you enter into covenant relationship, wherever you are in that covenant relationship, and all of us are going to be at different places in covenant relationship, according to the conditions and the particulars of our life. We're all going to be, maybe you're married, maybe you're not married yet. Um, Maybe you've um, received your endowment. Maybe you have not received your endowment yet. But as we enter into baptism, we enter into this covenant relationship. And from that moment, no matter where you are on the path, but within the relationship, you are claimed, loved, known, and delighted in already. You already are. And I love the message that we get from that. Um, and you can't disqualify yourself from any of those words yeah. at any moment on that that path either. Yeah. So this is actually our word for the week, one of those names of Jesus, which is beloved. Um, it's our poster for the week, and it comes from that verse. And then this print right here, if you um, haven't gotten this one of Jesus, it's all of his names, and you can get that in, in our newsletter. But that's the name that is going to go on his robe for this week is, is beloved. And here's some of like just the synonyms from that word that comes from Greek. To be esteemed, um, to be dear. I think both of these are so rad. Yeah, you can see, I do like, too. You know, just the contrast between them, you know, to be esteemed is like, wow, I just see so much. There's so much like um, potential and good and awesomeness in you. But then also dear is like, oh, my dear, you know, you're just like... And then desirable, like that God wants you, right? That, that he's not just saying like, oh yeah, you were born into the family, so I kind of have to like you, you know? But rather he's like, I desire you and I desire relationship with you. It's actually one of my wants. Yes. Um, and to be fully loved. And, and I just think that as you study this name this week and you consider how has he shown up in this story for for you one of the things you might consider is how does he treat you like that yes how are you treated well, as and, a beloved and to child? also tell yourself remind yourself i am already loved i am yeah. already and um i just had my birthday a couple weeks ago and i can remember on that day we happened to be with most of our family on my birthday and i remember looking at all my girls who are in their 20s and um, thinking about what do I know now that I'm on this side of being in my 20s. And as I watched them and struggle with all the things they struggle with, I was like, oh, if there was anything I would tell you, it is that you are beloved. Like I love that the father looked down at Jesus and he was like, before you began this mission, I just, I need you to like sit in the fact that you are fully loved, no matter what this day looks like, no matter what happens, that you need to go into it just knowing you are fully loved already. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, um, so interesting that you are loved already, like completely, unfailingly loved, which I love that word so much more than unconditionally, unfailingly loved. I love the thought of that Um, with a deep love that is long enough and wide enough to conquer anything. That's Mm. how much he loves you. And um, I love the thought that that thing you struggle with every day, his love is actually bigger than that. And that it will sustain you. It will carry you. It will lift you. Like that's what his love does. And, And I love those two scriptures 
that talk about his love. And the one is in Ephesians um, 3 and at the very end. And the other one is in Romans 8, right? At the very end where if you're wondering like what beloved looks like, those might be two, two verses or two places you would go to. Ephesians 3 and Romans 8. That's what his love looks like. So if, if you are beloved already, that's what you can expect from a covenant relationship with him, which I love. And I do, I do love that you mentioned that phrase, the covenant path. And, and just trying to say, instead of it being stepping stones, rather it's covenant path. Whenever I hear President Nelson say that, this is how it defines in my head. Covenant path is walking this life in covenant relationship. Mm. That's what it is. Like life is going to be hard and life is going to have its surprises. You can either walk it by yourself or you can walk it in covenant yeah. relationship. Then all of a sudden that us right. comes back in. And, and how powerful to face, like I was just thinking about your girls, young motherhood claimed, fully loved, known, and delighted in. Like that gives you a sense of strength and purpose, no matter what. Yeah. A, an unexpected diagnosis comes. And I was like, I will face this claimed, loved, known, and delighted in. That's how I'm going to live my life. That's yeah. what it means to live in covenant, covenant relationship. relationship. It's so good. Um, okay, then something really fun happens. And this part is going to be in Mark 1 is where um, we're going to read it. And we kind of talked about this a little bit the other day, but we're going to look again. This is when Jesus is going to now just start gathering, right? I love that his is an us ministry. So he's like, okay, who, sh who should I bring with? And he's going to walk along the Sea of Galilee. And there's one word we want you to keep watching for as we go through this part. And it's the word straightway. So he first sees Simon and Andrew casting nets for they were fishers in verse 16 of Mark 1. And he says, come after me and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And then he sees James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were also in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them and they left their father and they went and they went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day, they're going to go into this synagogue. Now, we've heard this story a million times. So much that it becomes so familiar to us that when he's like, you should come with me. We're like, I know what the next three years are going to bring. You actually should go with him yeah, and leave right now because it, it would make sense and it will be fine. But if you are these guys and you're sitting there with like, this is my life. This is what I do every day. This is like my work and this is my schedule. And like, I don't take vacation from this because I just don't. This is like my job. So I can't just leave this and, and walk away from it. And that moment when here's this Jesus who has not started healing or leading or teaching or anything, who's like, Hey, do you want to leave that behind and come see what I'm about to do? Like in my mind, I'm like, I think I would have been like, let me talk to my dad and see what he thinks mm. about this. Like what business advice he would give me yeah. or like, we need to talk about it. We like, how many days will we be gone? Exactly. Because I need to just look and see how is this going to affect my finances and my family? Also like, where should I park my boat? Because for, for how long will I not be yeah, doing yeah. this? Like logically, 
you would sit down for a minute and be like, okay, this is like really taking a gamble. You know? Yeah. I, I don't actually know what this world looks like. I know what this world looks like, but I'm, I'm not exactly sure, like, are you going to pay me? Yeah. Or like, how am I going to eat? How will I provide for my family? You know, like, um, what's the end game? Like, what's my three, the three-year plan and the five-year plan? And what's the 10-year plan if I come? Nobody writes about that yeah. in here. But yeah. they use words like straightway and immediately. And it makes me think to myself, like, how many people would you actually drop your life for? Mm. That if they were like, I'm going to actually turn your entire life upside down. Would you like in that moment, would you say, yes, I'm going to allow you to do this. And I think that phrase is so interesting in 17 when he's like, I will make you to become. And then he doesn't say better at this profession. In fact, he says it won't even be this profession. You're going to actually fish for men. Yeah. That's what I'm going to make you to become. Like in my mind, I think that's scary. Like it had to be frightening. Yeah. It had to be like, there had to be a lot of doubt of like, is this like the right time? It is now the right moment, you know? Yeah. And, and, it, and we'll see this next week, you know, when we get a little bit more details to the story that you just like, there had to have been some motivating reason to say yes, right? That Jesus isn't a stranger to yeah. them, right? And even those words, I will make you to become, are promise words. Yes. Right? That it's just like, come here, leave all this. I have a promise in store for you, which is I can make you to become something more, something greater than, you know, than you already are. And, and they might have been like, yeah, but this is good. Right. This is good. This has provided a good life for us. And I think when we think about that, like the question in the journal says, uh, what could the Lord make you to become? I think it's important to realize when we like turn our life over to the Lord, we're choosing the unknown path. Yeah. That's what we're choosing. We're, and we're actually choosing an uncomfortable path because he's going to stretch us. He's going to cause us to do things. And, and I think, um, I think it's important to recognize when you enter into covenant relationship is going to require something of you. Like your life will not be the same Mm -mm. when you make that choice. And, and part of that is like exciting and exhilarating. And part of it, like you lay in your bed at night and cry over what you're giving up, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and how, how nervous unknown can be, right? I mean, if you're a fisherman, you know the months that are good. You know the times of day that are good. You just are used yeah. to this rhythm of life that's like... And, and, I, and I, there's an invitation there that says, and you can keep living that rhythm of life if you'd like. Or I can make you to become something more something different and <laughs> there's a phrase that, that we'll end with when we get there that just kind of i think sums this up when you know where people yes. are like 
<laughs> and the the fact that it's just like so unexpected too. Yes. You know where and and there's something exciting about that also that they're just like wait hold on, do you know I'm just a fisherman? Right. You know like that, yes like I. Maybe you wanted like a scholar, yeah, or something. Yes. Like, I don't, you know, but I'm I like I smell like trout. Yes, you know what? So maybe you have the wrong person, and it's neat that he's calling to them like by name. He's yes. like, no, no, I know who you are, and I know what I can make you to become. Yeah, which is just so fun. So that that's a fun one to think about um, as we go through this one, and then. Um, the other thing that is so unexpected about Jesus, and this is one of my favorite parts, happens at the very end of Mark 1. Um, he, so they leave, they all, he goes into the synagogue, like this is day one. Um, they, they go to church. It's so interesting because they're like, we're really comfortable like on a boat mending nets and on the sea and walking on the shore. And he's like, all right, everyone to the synagogue. So everybody to the synagogue, which probably was a pattern of their life, but they leave from the synagogue. And in verse 28, immediately things are going to like pick up. Now, the, like the mission begins and he's going to heal Peter's mom because he walks in the house and he hears what's happening. And I love it uses the word and anon he came unto her, which means immediately, like right as soon as he heard and he heals her. And the next thing you know, all these people are showing up at the door. Like everybody is feeling that whole little town because they're, the, again, my mom's question, what is happening here? Yeah. Right? We want to see what is taking place here. And and I just want to throw something in real fast with that straight way because you used that word anon. Like he walks in and immediately he goes in and heals her. And it makes me think what happened to those fishermen when they straightway left their nets. And certainly straightway they began to be healed or straightway like... Mm. His power started to flow into their lives. That it would that yeah, it would be reciprocal that them, there, right? Yeah. In and and I love that this is what happens. Like this is the pattern of Jesus's day and his life and what his mission looked like. And it, surely it became the pattern of theirs as well as they did this. But it tells us. In verse 32 of Mark 1, even when the sun did set, they were still bringing him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils and all the city. I love that part. Like the whole city. No one's even in their beds that night. Everybody's like, you get everybody come to Peter's house. And they're all there. And then in verse 35, it says this. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed him. And when they had found him, they said to him, all men seek you. Like we can't even get in or out of the house. There are so many people here. You have to come back. There's like at Capernaum, there's people waiting for you. And then he says this, oh, let us go into the next town that I may preach there also for therefore came I forth. And you could read that last line one of two ways. You could either read it as I came to preach to every single town. So that's my mission. That's what we're going to do. Or you could read it as the reason why I came to the solitary place this morning is to figure out where I should go today. Mm -hmm. Where should I spend my day today? And that's the reading that I love. I love that in the morning he was like, okay, this is how I start my day, is I go find a solitary place 
I pray and I say, where should I go today? Yeah. What do you need me to do today? And um, that changed his life. It changed the way he did things. Um, as you're preparing to teach this week, this might be something that you want to consider is what does it look like to change the shape of a day? What does it look like to enter into covenant relationship like that? Um, and one of the things that I love is what Elder Uchtdorf tells us. And I just want to think about that for a minute. He says, this is from his conference talk. When was it? It was October of 2021. October 2021. 2021. And he says this to us. We need times of refreshing. We need times of personal restoration. And I love that that's what it feels like Jesus was going after. He had been with people all night. And then he was like, I, I just need a time of refreshing. I need a time of personal restoration. And um, he says this, um, he, he says this quote, as our days go, so go our lives. One author put it this way. A day is like a whole life. You start out doing one thing, but end up doing something else. You plan to run an errand, but never get there. And at the end of your life, your whole existence has that same haphazard quality too. Your whole life has the same shape as a single day. So do you want to change the shape of your life? then change the shape of your day. And do you want to change your day? Then change this hour. Change what you think, feel, and do at this very moment. And I love, um, I love that thought of like, what if we were really intentional about changing the shape of our day? What if we were really intentional about starting our morning in a solitary way, which is not common for us because mm -mm. the phone goes off then you have to grab your phone to turn off your phone and and i'm sure this happens to not just me but then i see 1000 notifications that happen during the middle of the night so then i'm checking in on everyone to make sure everyone's alive and breathing and functioning and then when i get on there then i'm like well should i see what else is happening in the world and check the news and then i next thing you know i'm like in my emails and i'm on my day and i think there's something important about taking that solitary time to just like check in with God and say, where should I go today? What should I do? And so we kind of broke this up in the journal. Um, what does it, what would it look like maybe to change the shape of your day? What questions would you ask? Yeah. And it's funny because when I went through this kind of experience, I, I realized exactly what it is that you're saying. And you'll see on this, this is the worksheet for the week. Um, that it, uh, it requires more out of you than you think it's going to initially. Like I was thinking like, oh, I would sit down and just kind of do this almost like in a planning mindset. And I realized that it actually does need that solitary moment to do. Like it needs like a deliberate pause. And, and something I found that was actually really powerful about it is because we'd been studying what we were studying, it starts off with that question. Like, what does God believe about me? And, and it made me go back to what we learned in the baptism. You know, that like, oh, I actually, before I, you know, before I even get into this, I need to like reflect on that a little bit. Like remember that and let that settle in kind of like, like a dove, you yeah, know, like, like let I'm that. Claimed. Yeah, okay. I'm loved. I need I'm to, yeah, known. like almost like, hey, this day, whatever it looks like, this is how I'm starting it. 
And this day, whatever it looks like, is not going to change those things about number one. Mm. And, and this day, like I can't mess up how God feels about me. You know, so like, I don't need to be so anxious about like, what if I get it wrong? Or what if I, you know, what if it's just like, wait, start in that place. And then, and then like, consider what he will make me to become, right? Like consider like, because I had a choice when I went through it to think I could just do my day the way I do every other day Mm. or I can make a deliberate decision to like hand it over and say, well, what could he make it to become? Mm. And do I want to do that? Yeah. You know, do I dare? <laughs> was, yes. You know, was the question. And then, then I can move on to, to these three because these three are questions I ask God, right? So it's almost like I settle it in myself yeah. first. And then, and then you ask, like, let these questions, these three questions, which would be, where should I go today? Who should I serve today? What should I do today? Um, which is so fun to just let him be like, there's a lot of things on my list, but why don't you give me one from yours? You know, who do you, where do you want me to go yeah. today? And yeah. who should I serve today? And what should I do today? And, and I feel like, God knows us well enough to know what our responsibilities are, you know, and the things that we need to accomplish. But I also wonder if he's like, this will take you five minutes. Do you just want to run over and do that? Because it could have a profound effect on someone if you did. And do you have time to just like send a text? This is who you should send it to. Yeah. To, you know, it's not like he's going to be like, erase your schedule every single day. He he knows our responsibilities and our professions and the conditions and particulars of our life. But and I love that he's like, I-, I can make it better. Yeah. It's so funny because as I was filling this out and I really get to three, four, wait, one, two, three, four, and five questions, three, four, and five. And they were prayerful. And I wrote this almost as a prayer journal, you know, and the, like, and just for me, the answer of where should I go today is go the places you've planned there will be work there for you to do mm. was sort of the answer for me, you know, for just this particular day. And just like you're saying, where it was just like, like it wasn't like, yeah. oh, cancel everything, but oh, go, I knew you were going there. Yeah. And I want, and you need to. Yeah. And there will There's be There's work for you yeah, to do there. And there. so if you're listening on the podcast, the five questions on changing the shape of your day are these. What does God believe about me is question number one. Question number two, what will he make me to become today? Then question number three, where should I go? Four, whom should I serve? And five, what should I do today? And we just love the thought of maybe trying that out one day. And if you love it, then maybe letting that become a a pattern. Maybe changing the shape of your day becomes a pattern. Your morning starts in this solitary way and then... um, you have this pattern. Now, the last section, I love this last section that we're going to, and we're going to be in Luke 3 is where we're going to start. Because something really interesting happens. John's teaching when we start out Luke 3. And as he's teaching, the people are going to start asking him questions as he's going through and and he's talking about um, what's going to happen. And I love when he comes out of... um, Oh, were we going to do the promise first, actually? I think we were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He comes out of this promise. Um, So it says in verse 3, He came into all the country about Jordan, 
preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And, and he's crying this, what we know, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Like m- make a path for him in your life, which that's where you love like that covenant path idea. Make a path for him in your life. But it's going to be less about a checklist and it's going to be more about this promise in verse five that he's going to talk about. Yeah. He says, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And I think it's neat um, in, in two different ways. One way you could read this and say, like, if there's a valley in the way, he's going to find a way still into your life. If there's a mountain in the way, he's still going to, it's going to be leveled so that he can make it. Like, God's going to find a way to come into your life. But it also can be read as a, a promise, mm-hmm. especially in with verse 6, where he says, And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Like everyone is going to be able to experience this. And that word salvation could also be translated as healing. Um, sal- saving, salvation, saving, sozo would be the, the root there. And it also means healing. And I love this thought that like, when you, he's talking about this path, like prepare the way of the Lord, prepare this path. We've been talking about this idea of a covenant relationship, which would then allow us to walk down the path, not just you by yourself. And I love that he's like, and um, if you're in the valley, he will be there. And yeah. if you're overcoming a mountain, he will be there. And if if the path gets too crooked, he will straighten it out for you. And, um, and if it, it's too rocky for you to get over, he can smooth that out. Like, Whatever is the healing you need, um, I don't think you can walk a covenant path without a covenant relationship. Do you? No, by definition, I don't think yeah. so. That like, if you're on the covenant path, then you can be assured you are not walking by yourself. Like you can be assured of that that would be true. And yeah. I love the thought of that. And he's kind of introducing this idea of what a covenant life would look like, um, what, what that baptism life looks like. And that, um, that baptism of repentance is what he calls it. And so he says, so if, if you want that life, then you have to live in repentance. That's what you're being called to. And the people are like, well, wait, what should we do? And I love this because it's a little bit going to alter our understanding of what repentance is. A lot of times we're like, did you lie? You have to repent. Did you steal something? You have to repent. You know, whatever is the thing you did, okay, repent. And in our mind, we're like, okay, I have to go back in the store and and take this back and pay for it. And like, that is repent. And it, it, you did something bad, repent. Yeah, which is reconciliation. That's what you're defining, yes. right? Yeah. So, yeah. And what Paul is, Paul, all of a sudden I just brought Paul into the story. <laughs> what John so is going to teach us is repentance is a lot more than what happens after you lie or still. It's actually a way of life. Like you you are gonna live in repentance. Um, that's part of a covenant life. And you remember, and we love teaching this, um, 
I, I love reminding people, if you were going to do sign language, the sign language for change is you would make two C's and you would put your wrists together and then you would switch the position of those two C's by rocking against the other wrist. That is change, right? My right hand is going to change places with my left hand. Um, the sign for repentance is similar. You make two R's in sign language and then you put your wrists together and again, um, those, your right hand is going to change places with your left hand. Repentance is change. You're, if you live in repentance, then you live in daily changing your life to reflect more of the Savior in your life. And John teaches this so well in Luke 3 because the people say to him, okay, well, if we're going to live in repentance, they say in verse 10, what shall we do then? And Which is like, interesting because it's a future question. And normally we think about repentance as a yes. past issue. And instead, like he's couching it in this idea of like, no, that's, that is a life living in repentance. It's a life that says, this is what it's will you look direct like my now. life? Yeah. For like, it's a future forward looking. Yeah, that's so good. You know, question. And there, and he says to them, okay, what, what you should do to the people is if you have two coach, you need to give away one. Um, if you, if you have meat, if you have extra meat, you need to give that away, which is a, a change of like how you approach life. Because he's saying like, how many coats do you have in your coat closet? I just cleaned mine out yesterday. I have more than one coat in my closet. And depending on, is it Sunday? Am I going skiing? Am I going for a walk with my, like, he's like you, uh, for the rest of your life, just one coat for you. Take those others to other people. That would like cause me to have to like change. Right. Uh, that's cha going to change my pattern of how I live my life. And I love that he's like, oh yeah, that's living in repentance, change. And so the publicans who their job is tax collector, that they have permission to go to people and ask for their money. That's their job. That's what they're paid to do. They're like, well, what shall we do? And he's like, oh, okay. For you, living in repentance means don't take any more than exactly what you're supposed to take. Like don't take advantage of people. Um, that's what you need to do. So then the soldiers were like, well, what, sh what are we supposed to do? Like, what would this look like for us? And he's like in verse 14, um, don't do violence to any man and don't accuse people falsely. If you don't know if they did it or not, it's not your right to just be accusing people falsely. And, um, and also be content with your wages, like be a good employee. And I love that he, for every person, he was like, this is going to require you to change your heart. This is going to require you to change your perspective. This is going to require you to change the way you actually enter into the to-do of your day. Like that's living in repentance. It's changing perspective and it's changing your heart. It's changing your reactions. It's, it's anything that would turn you closer to Jesus Okay, that's repentance. Mm. That's what I need you to do. And and so I love that like when we say, well, what should I do? Um, and then it leads to what you love about this story, which are the very first words Jesus speaks um, after the baptism. Yeah. Again, remember the, the gospel writers are writing this in a way that's like they're trying to teach certain lessons. So these might not have been his very first words, but they're presenting them as his first public words, you know, to teach and emphasize a lesson here, which is kind of cool to think about that. If you were like, if you lived somewhere in Capernaum and somebody said, 
hey, have you heard of this guy, Jesus of Nazareth? He was like, yeah, 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 my cousin told me about him. And they're just like, well, he's preaching, you know, in the synagogue today. And you were like, oh, really? Okay, like, I want to go hear him. Yeah. Like, you would think to yourself, I wonder what he's going to say. And, and I think this is actually a really cool question to ask yourself. Just like, what are those words? Um, and however you answer that question is indicative of what you think about Jesus, That's right? That's so true. Because if you're just yeah. like, I wonder what I would hear him say if I walked into the back doors of the synagogue. And Mark and Matthew both um, a little bit different from each other, but essentially the same message in Mark 1.15. And he says, these are the words that you would hear if you walked in. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. He says, those are the words that you would have heard him. That's the sermon that you would have heard him preach. And, and Matthew actually uses the word repent first as his very, very first word, which has been hijacked yes. by the world to mean a really like harsh Right, because like I'm word. thinking of what you just were teaching where if I heard him say, repent ye, I think my first inclination in the way I have been raised would be to be like, Okay, what did I do bad yesterday? Yeah, there's something wrong with you. What did I do wrong today? Right. What what mistake have I made? Um, Like I I would have gone back to like try and fix past behavior. And I love that um, one of the things I've tried to do in my scriptures is change that word repent to turn again to Christ. So whatever I need to do in my life that will allow me to have like full focus on him that's repenting. And I rarely, when I read now, I rarely read the word repent. Like if I was reading this, I would say the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So turn again to Christ and believe the gospel. Yeah. And I love that thought of like, it's just repositioning your forward steps. Right. To be more like inclined to him. Yeah. And some of these things that I think it's interesting where he just says to the people like, you have too many coats. He just says, I want you to get rid of something. Make room for something new, hmm. right? Is what he's saying. Like the pattern of your life. Can I interrupt it? Because I want you to make room for something bigger, yeah. right? That repent word, it comes after the known love claim. Yes. After that. It comes yeah. like, like... And then it's like, it's and not, now turn to me. Right, right. And turn to me again. Exactly. Okay, it's now not, turn to me again. Repent, and then I will know you, love you, and claim you. It's like you're... Hey, step one. You're known, claimed, and fully loved, okay? All right. Do you want me to make you to become something more? I can. If you take my advice, make room for something different, Yes. right? And let me give you advice based off of like, if you're a soldier, I have different advice than if you're a tax, like, cause everybody he's going to speak yes, to which I love. differently. Yeah. That he's like, right? well, let me look at you and see what do you need? And the right. reason why we live in repentance is because he might be like, okay, right now you should actually work on this. And then in three months he might be like, you're doing great at that. So Right now, what I think you should work on is this. Right. Like we live in a repentance life because he's going to constantly grow us and increase us and improve us a little at a time, grace by grace. Yeah. Every day where he's like, okay, and, and you might be working on one thing. I might be working on something totally different. Every person in your congregation, he's going to be like, 
well, she's working on this and he's working on this. And that's why he's like, don't you be in charge of what people are working on. Yeah. I'm in charge. Right. Of what people are working on. Right. And I, and I also love that the uh, uh, upfront before, as part of that, he says the kingdom of God is at mm. hand, which means is close by. And every time I read that, it just makes me think the phrase, and God's not very far away. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. when, like you, you don't, this does is not going to require these huge leaps and bounds. He's not very far away. Like he's right here. He's walking this together with you, like close by Yeah. and everything surrounding, like all of that, I think is just, is, is beautiful as people consider. Yeah. It's um, so good. Can we end on this one verse? Yep. But back in Luke three fifteen, when he's done with all that, he just says this and the people were in expectation. And <gasps> oh, I, I love, so I love thinking like, okay, of what that's like on the beach or wherever they were. Yeah. Um, another translation of the Bible says this on the tiptoe of expectation. <laughs> and don't you think that's so darling, right? But yeah, say I, where that was again, because um, everyone's going to want to know where Luke it is. Luke 3, 15. Yep. It's and, like, and they were on. And the people were in expectation. Were in expectation for like, oh, what will yeah. you make me to become? What is this life going to look like? I yeah. Can't wait. And, and maybe the funnest part about that is the unexpected makes you have to live in expectation. In expectation. Yeah. Right. Because unexpected is kind of fun because you like. Yeah. Like, don't be scared of tomorrow. Yeah, what's happening? What's going to happen? Like, something really cool yeah. could happen. Yeah, so fun. Okay, see you see next, next week. week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.